freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hey, today, Culmination welcomes Josh Denny. Josh was one of the first people who had me on his podcast, to have me on a podcast, on a video podcast, certainly. And he's also one of the first people, if you were ranking people in the country, United States of America, he'd be right up there. Josh, thanks for joining us today, you funny, funny guy. Josh Denny, <laughs> comedy. Thank Comedian, you. cut up, revolution, rebel, Uber canceled guy. What, what have you been canceled on so far? Ah, uh, man, it, it depends on the day of the week, Ron. I mean, you know. Well, I, today's I could... Friday. <laughs> What's the Friday answer? Yeah, probably my constant tweeting at uh, Hollywood celebrities over their strange support of uh, our governor here in California, Gavin Newsom. It's almost like he's unloaded the wallet to get a bunch of, uh, you know, celebrity endorsements for the horrendous job he's been doing in managing our state. And um, he's he's feeling the heat from you know larry elder out here and so he's he's pulled out all the stops in getting you know every celebrity under the sun to endorse him and, and nobody really has any tangible things um that are good that gavin has done their whole argument is oh well you know let's just keep the let's just keep these white supremacists like larry elder from coming to power which is pretty yeah. insane that right so i mean that is something that that does trouble me i mean you know i a guy, I'm a, a man grows, you know, a, a person's entitled to his opinions, but in terms of white supremacists, Larry Elder, he's the worst kind, the black <laughs> kind. How do we, how do we, all right. So, so what, so what happened you by, when you say you've been blocked by them or has Twitter sent you warnings or something? Or? No, you know, what's weird is I really don't get a lot of warnings from Twitter. I've only, the only, um, the only tweet that I ever put out, and this is interesting because the most infamous one was the 2018 one where I compared uh, the modern usage of the word straight white male to the historic usage of the N word on the internet, basically highlighting how sort of passe and accepted it's been uh, to just be openly racist towards straight white male or males or sexist or, um, you know, but uh, the only tweet I was ever asked to take down by Twitter was a joke I made about the uh, the singer Billie Eilish, where I said that her music was so bad that Michael Jackson should have been able to get away with whatever he wanted to. And um, and that was th that was far more offensive than anything political, I guess, that I had ever um, tweeted. So I don't get a lot of warnings from Twitter. I, I think I'm very good at posing things in the phrase of a question i use sort of i use sort of the jeopardy method of not getting hit with <laughs> with uh strikes so i i ask a lot of questions or i infer, 
I infer a lot. So I don't really call people things directly or say derogatory things directly. I'm very good at insinuating it. And I think that keeps me from getting a lot of the slaps on the wrist that some oh, of you my... imply a lot. In other words, yes. you imply a lot. Yes, we yes. infer, you imply. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. There you nice go. lawyer speak. This is what this is why I need you to represent me, Ron, so that I no, don't make know. a fool of myself. You know, but no, but represent you, you know, not don't get in trouble. And you won't have to have me listen, if you weren't guilty. <laughs> I don't mean as a defendant. I mean, okay. you know, what, I like how you automatically assume I'd have to be defending myself in this well, in well a that's case. the only reason. Well, but you're a professional talker. You don't need need me to do the talking for you. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes, don't sometimes, know. sometimes it'd be nice to take a break and just hand it over to somebody else. How is your New Jersey, uh, uh, New York area tour? Uh, how did that go? Your East Coast tour, I guess. It was horrendous. Much like you joked when we had those shows, you said, "Are you really going to do?" um what was that weekend it was uh not yom was it it wasn't yom kippur there was another jewish holiday that was that weekend and you well, what, what been, time of year was it was it end of march could, uh passover yeah passover yeah yeah right because that's why i couldn't well you, you were doing new jersey on a friday night anyway so i wouldn't have been able to come but. right but i remember you going like passover weekend that's a good move and it was not a good move so <laughs> not only did my no we we did my show for like a handful of people and then every other show in the club that weekend got canceled. And I asked the booker, I was like, well, is this like a really um, like a really Jewish city that we're doing the show? Because it was in a, a Jersey sort of suburb of New York. And he goes, that's eh, like 96 <laughs> percent. Like, that would have been helpful to know before we set all this up. Um, but no. And then I did I did some shows in uh, in Wilmington, Delaware shortly, like a, almost a month later. And uh, and that was cool. I had a lot of old friends from the Philadelphia area and family and stuff come out. So, you know, but it, it's still live shows are still a very fickle thing right now with all of the restrictions and mandates and the travel itself is a nightmare so i've just kind of pumped the brakes on doing anything live until we get into a better place it just seems like uh it seems like a lot of work for um a lot of sort of questionable um results right like i'm not at the level where i can put my name on a marquee and automatically sell out a venue no matter what the circumstances are there are certainly guys that are like that in comedy i am not one of them yet so um, it's a, it's a little tumultuous at my level to be going out and trying to, you know, make significant money on the road where it's almost better to just sort of stay back and, and continue to build what I'm doing, um, with some of these other channels. So remind us, I mean, remind us last time you and I spoke, it was what, six months ago or something. So what's, what are you doing? Just to, like, give me a sense of, you know, you got the locals thing you've what's, what's going on with you? Are you walking well, away from I, YouTube pretty much? No, not really. I mean, no? I, I I do some YouTube stuff. I you know you can get my new podcast Jankum uh, on uh, YouTube at least the the first chunk of it, and then Jankum, um, Jankum, yes, Jankum. If you remember, was uh, an internet uh, a fake internet trend. I think about a decade ago where um, like 4chan had sort of spread this rumor that kids are getting high huffing their own fermented shit. And, um, and the news media bought it and fell for it and thought it was this epidemic and uh, started report started reporting on it because and, and it was totally a hoax. 
Amazingly, I missed this. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if you missed it, but <laughs> I live a charmed life, obviously. Yeah, definitely. But um, but it was interesting because so you thought that would be a good name for a podcast. Yeah, well, it's sort of like, and and it and it made sense to me because I thought, man, it, it, so much of what we consume these days is absolute shit. I mean, and it's and a lot of it is fake. So yeah, I thought it would be a great but name. Is for it a podcast. fermented? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's probably it's a good that's a good call out. It's probably much more fresh. I think we're fresher. dealing with a lot of farm to table shit these days, especially <laughs> in the media. Farm to table. It's not really getting a lot of time. We're not really pickling it, letting it sit in the in the barn yeah, like this, our good friends in the, the Amish episode, This is going to be the episode of Coleman Nation that my wife is finally going to decide she's going to listen to. <laughs> and it's it's going to all go down the crapper, as they say. That's no, it. Well, there's no chance of that whatsoever, by the way. Well, and it's so funny because like all as I as I continued to like build the branding for this, I was like, oh, this makes more sense than anything I've ever done. I was like, well, we'll release it on Monday, the shittiest day of the week. And um, <laughs> and most podcasts end up just, you know, talking shit with friends of mine. And so, you know, the, the branding sort of fits. I always found that with my other two podcasts, The Darkest Hour, which was intended to kind of get, it was almost intended to be like an inside the actor studio for comedians. And then I would have guests on there, explain the format, and then they would start talking about current events. And then I would go, okay, well, maybe I need a current events show. So I did the wake up call for locals. And then I would have guests on there. And then we would just talk about things that had nothing to do with politics or current events. So I was like, man, at some point, the idea of trying to shoehorn people into a concept for a podcast can be like herding cats. So why not just brand it in a way to where whatever we do falls under that umbrella. And, uh, and so Jankum was born. Well, yeah, it's um, funny because when, when I told people I was starting a podcast or even when I've asked people to be on the podcast, they'll say, well, what's a, what's it about? And I always think, well, it's about me. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's an exposure. I mean, I, I mean, if there's anyone watching this, I, I'm astonished to think that you're offended by that. Don't don't pull my leg, okay? It's, oh, Ron Coleman's, I like Ron Coleman. Let's see how his conversations go with people that I might find interesting. But the lens is through the person who, now there might be podcasts where someone is really like a Jeremy Core podcast, right? Jeremy's like a real straight guy from the Midwest, okay? And he's not gonna impose his personality on you. He's really gonna be about the guest, but, you and I, we're like uh, Carson Letterman, you know, it's you come here for us. And by the way, you get, if you're lucky, you get to see, a, 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 you know, a cute Hollywood actress. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have those on from time to time. I don't know why they do my show, but they do. And they're they're very gracious with their time. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, to me, you're, you're absolutely right. Podcasts have really become about podcasts are almost like an extension of Internet personalities you see online. And, and honestly, it's the, the last place where I get to sort of set the record straight on on who I am as a person. There's a lot of people that try to interpret what I do comedically online in a bad faith way. And so it's I think it's always good for me to have some sort of who are connection. You? Who are What's you? <laughs> do it what now. am I? Yeah, sounds uh, great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a I'm a guy who thinks that uh, that good ideas should beat out ideology in almost any situation. So, um, and I am a guy who thinks anything can be joked about and anything can be made funny. That's those are kind of those are my extremist ideas, Ron. Certainly, that does put you in the category of uh, potential terrorist. Uh, yes, and I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, you're being monitored appropriately. 
Yeah, uh, no, that has been confirmed by my sister who works for Homeland Security. So uh, a- after my after my visit, uh, interestingly enough, I visited one of our mutual friends who's sort of high profile in that world. And um, sh- my sister made it very clear to me that uh, after that trip, I've been added to several lists. So that's a fun that's sort of a fun, uh, a fun situation. I'm sure they appreciate knowing that your sister is sharing this information with you. Yeah, well, she can't go into any specific detail, but, you know, she can be like, hey, man, you know, you're on some radars. Oh, now, gosh. I don't know what that means. Maybe they just maybe they just love my work. <laughs> but something tells me and now based the, on the context of who she's talking about, uh-huh. uh, it's not just that. So uh-huh. and now that that well, they might think that, well, if so and so thinks he's funny, he must really be good. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's precisely. <laughs> I think you're onto something there. Yeah, if he thinks I'm fun. If he thinks I'm funny enough to give me a show on his network now as well then uh then yeah we better be cooking up something crazy it is kind oh, of funny oh okay obviously- so, yeah, that person well yeah well, i'm on that then i'm obviously been on that list yeah we're all time. on that list yeah but uh, <laughs> so obviously we're talking about my good buddy gavin and you must uh, be I, by the way are, are you as hurt as i am that we weren't on that on that le- listed on that letter from the judicial from the um from, from the politburo uh, asking for um uh, you know the the national Arch- archives for records for January sixth of all these people. Yeah, it's well. I, I, have a I, lot I, of- I scanned it and scanned it and scanned it. Neither of our names is on there. Yeah, it's one of the few. Uh, it's one of the few hate lists I have been excluded from. Ironically enough, I feel like um, we're not. I mean, that's the A list. It is. The, it really is, and well, we are not on it. Ugh. Yeah, well, we're like, uh, if we're going, if we go back to the old Donnie Brasco terminology, right? Like, we're not uh, made guys, but we're connected guys. <laughs> so while you and I aren't necessarily insurrectionists directly, we're like, we're like well, the guy, we're like the guy who finds diamonds for the insurrectionists, right? Well, I'm a like, con- well, I'm a con- remember, I'm a consulior, okay? So yeah. let's just say that on that letter, I might not, my name's not there, but there are enough of my clients and friends are on there that if those people were to turn over all their emails, my name might as well be on there because. Yeah, I would, I would probably tend to agree. Yeah. And it's, and what's interesting is, is, you know, you asked me like, what am I canceled for this week? I, I do go on these sort of threads. I think you saw the one from this morning where I kind of, I have these like sort of unrolls on Friday mornings when I'm up late editing um where i'll just sort of espouse some thoughts in rapid fire on twitter and i'll I'll create a thread that's sort of like here's sort of my where my brain is at right now and i do think some of those i'm very um uncensored with that and unfiltered and i do think some of those border on what someone would would try to make a case for is like um stirring the pot or trying to like raise you know activity against the government i'm surprised nobody has ever um, really tried to make a case that that's what I'm attempting to do. But I really do try to pose the question to, you know, our fellow citizens in our country of like, you know, where is the line where people are going to actually step up and start to push back on some of these things? Because the the willful compliance is hor- hor- horrifying. And, you know, I, I we talked about this before. I have a lot of people hate when you compare things to the Holocaust, but I have so many Jewish friends and many that are um, you know, very conservative Jewish friends who observe Shabbat on the weekends and uh, Friday nights and stuff. And they excellent, excellent time to observe it, by the way. Yeah, it's it the only time. Um, yeah, I, I observe it on Tuesdays because I feel like that's that's what works for me. Nah, well, that's your truth. 
<laughs> and you're a very spiritual person and that's what yeah, matters yeah i can't wait for new trans jews to start saying like <laughs> we celebrated on wednesdays <laughs> you know you can't tell me when it is oh actually god does but sure do your own thing um, but uh you know <laughs> uh they my friends are often the ones going like man this is you know if i talk to my my father or my grandfather about what the playbook was in world war ii we're certainly pulling a lot of pages out of it these days and, and it seems like uh everyone sort of pumps the brakes on that they go oh no no it's not that bad and they go yeah i'm, I'm sure people were saying that in poland before it really got bad well you know the best way to avoid being accused of an inapt comparison to the Holocaust is to just refer to totalitarianism. So, because because the fact is the same techniques were not only used in Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union and communist China, less so China, it was a real, uh, less so China, but because it was so back, so very backward. So, and, and also just a whole different cultural story. But also if you look at uh, the French Revolution, um, which had, periods of were at, from, from, from the terror, really through the end of Napoleon, there were patches of very intense uh, totalitarianism that you would not have trouble wrecking. By the way, also, um, England under Henry VIII, I mean, there, there was a lot, people don't appreciate how much monitoring of the citizens took place in earlier times. Um, also, I mean, really in Rome as well. But the point is, in totalitarian societies or authoritarian societies that are so authoritarian that it is hard to tell whether they're totalitarian or not, the same techniques are used where, you know, the, the government is constantly broadcasting messages of compliance. And this is a, a point that Aaron, Adam Townsend uh, makes very well. Setting up the model for what for what a model, the model for what citizenship is. And almost like a social credit credit score. Right, but but, but without actually put, assigning any values to it, but the world is made up of good Americans who take their vaccines and wear masks and non-compliant Americans who are, who, who are as good as insurrectionists and in many cases are insurrectionists, who, who not only do they not take vaccines, but they go public with criticisms of the vaccines uh, or, or asking questions that are not in the spirit of our mutual benefit uh, and that, you know, and et cetera, uh, you know, whether, it, and, and you know, and the, I mean, when you, you must've seen that screen splash from the, um, you know, the Homeland Security, what, what they were looking at for, ahead of September 11th for, you know, dangerous types. One was anti-vax, one was people who had the temerity not to believe that the election was fair and square. And one was, um, was it, was it patriotism? People espousing patriotism or something. Yeah. I, it was something like really pretty, you know, bread and butter kind of stuff. This is, you know, this, this is, this is pretty scary, but I do think to some extent what it is resulting in, because I do, I still think we have a tradition in this country of, of independence among many, many people. Let's get out of the cities and talk about the American people, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are not only not buying it, but who are previously would have been affected by this kind of propaganda and who aren't now, like who, who, who now look at the government and other institutions 
with a degree of skepticism that they never would have dreamt that they would have had. That includes me. You know, you they're, they're no longer entitled to this presumption of good faith or being here to act in our, to our benefit. And that includes both domestic and foreign policy. I mean, you realize now that their agendas that they have are not the agenda of the people or or even of the people elected to govern. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as much as it's easy to get um, wrapped up in comparing things to the Holocaust, let's not be that extreme. But it's interesting because you talk we often talk um, in sort of like uh, sociopolitical discussions about, you know, the American empire and could it ever fall? And I think a lot of times, you know, we go like, oh, no, it could never happen. You know, we're the, we're the world's largest superpower it could never happen. It's like, yeah, well, well, Rome fell. And, and if you look historically like Rome fell doing a lot of the things that we're doing now, I mean, it sort of started with uh, separatism uh, in terms of government. Right. So they sort of split their government into two and said, listen, we can't agree on things. So let's just divvy it up and, and cut ourselves into two things. It'll be easier to govern, easier to manage. And then referring there was to the a, Eastern and Western empires. Yeah. Uh, okay. Byzantine and, uh, and what was the other one? Just Rome. The, Rome. Right. So, um, and, and I do think, you know, you see a lot of politicians sort of floating that idea of like, maybe we need two Americas or, you know, a lot of people feel like we already live in two Americas. And so we have this sort of idea that we have these two parties that will never come together. And, and what's, what's really concerning is historically our elected officials have always said, regardless of partisan difference, we have to govern together. Well, now you're starting to see them diverge from that and saying like, maybe we should just govern separately or independently. And so that to me is sort of putting us on that path. The other thing that was a tremendous problem for Rome was overspending and, and rampant corruption which is the world we live in now, where you see a guy like Gavin Newsom, you know, brag. And, and I, I got into it with one of your uh, or, or was was having conversations with one of your uh, uh, colleagues about um, California specifically about how we have a governor here who's sort of campaigning on an 80 billion dollar surplus that only exists because of a bad faith decision to withhold unemployment uh, money from his his uh, population. So like where every other state in America decided they were going to match the federal dollars uh, granted for pandemic unemployment assistance, Gavin Newsom said plainly, we are not going to, the kitty is empty. And so for that six month period here uh, to start out, like I think it began in March going all the way to September was the original plan um, of, of stimulus to help people get back on their feet. California said, we're not going to pay it to our people, despite the fact that we tax them the most of any state, I, I, maybe New York, I think is still higher, but, um, then to turn around and pivot and say, we have an $80 billion surplus and use that as some sort of feather in his cap to get reelected. It's, it's unethical at the very least. And then, um, on top of that, they also have the federal discretion um, if the unemployment reaches a certain threshold to just kill that uh, federal money as well. So the federal government grants them the power to say, we're going to embezzle this money from its originally intended purpose and redirect it into whatever we want. Um, and all they have to do is hit a certain unemployment threshold to do that, which they manipulated by opening in January for two weeks and allowing people to get back to work, reducing the unemployment percentage, hitting that threshold so they could kill the final seven weeks of federal aid that people were counting on. And, and then 
and then <laughs> you know turns around and says like oh we're we're back to normal so we're just going to keep the last seven weeks of your 26 weeks or whatever of um of federal aid and so this is the kind of thing to me that like historically would have a leader tarred and feathered making this kind of decision and i've got josh gad from book of mormon and frozen on the internet telling me uh that we need to keep this man in power because black people are becoming white supremacists and trying to destroy our nation it's well, insanity ron well but you know you mentioned gavin newsom and corruption but there's a there's an aspect to that also which which my my friend thomas donatelli who i want to get on the podcast i just have to figure out how to do it he wants to do it he's he's a semi-retired wall street guy who the famous um pizza lunch friend from my from my tweet of uh, a while ago who had all, all these all these great insights and he points out that there's a gigantic and this happened in rome too a gigantic wealth cluster among a very, very small crust of people, but those are the people who are pretty much running everything. And they've grabbed a hold of government, of pretty much every aspect of government. And they're not just upper middle class or million dollar a year wealthy, which believe me, that's, that's a lot of money, but well, now almost a million dollars a year almost just makes your head above water, right? Well, I, I, this, I wouldn't, I would maybe, maybe, maybe in, you know, your, your neighborhood, I think I, yeah. prob I probably could take a vacation and, you know, more than 50 miles from my home if I made a million dollars a year. But, but I mean, talk like people who are worth hundreds of millions, in other words, the, the Wall Street class and, uh, you know, the, te the technology class, these People who have just so much, a couple of things, they have so much money that nothing matters to them. They win regardless of what happens to the economy because they're hedged on every possible outcome. In fact, when they drive value of property and other assets down, it gives them an opportunity to, you know, make a killing in, you know, buying up assets that other people can't afford to hold on to. And they have nothing at all to do with regular people, zero. And, and as Tom pointed out to me, there was a time when you could come into an investment bank as a young analyst. And we're still talking about relatively elite people here coming out of the best schools, but you would rub shoulders with the top people and you could find ways to get into their offices and work with them and get to know them. And if you could pull it off, you could develop relationships and maybe you could go somewhere, or you could learn something. Today, those people are hermetically sealed from from support staff from beginners from you know they're living in a completely different universe and that's also true of government leaders uh you know these people who who routinely want to defund the police but have their own security details still paid for by by their you know the government that employs them these people don't feel the pain at all of what they put us through not in the slightest and it's i mean that's a french revolution or a Roman Empire kind of situation where you just have this let them eat cake kind of attitude, which, you know, breeds a tremendous amount of resentment. Yeah, I mean, and it's I, I say this all the time is like they, they want to tell us uh, that the world is fine and it's a world they don't have to live in. 
you know, and, the, and that's part of the problem with the way that our elected officials conduct themselves these days is because they're essentially legislating in America that they're never affected by, you know, it, even down to the it's like imagine being somebody who gets to legislate and regulate public transportation and you've never taken it in your life. I mean, that is because that's a great metaphor for the way all of our government works. I mean, they're they're literally telling you that you can't go to your job because you you need a vaccination. And these people, uh, they, they have no frame of reference for what your day to day activity at your job is like, because they went straight from college to uh, an internship at their, um, you know, super wealthy, connected families, uh, hedge fund or firm or whatever, and then got into politics. And and here we are. So, you know, yeah, they're they're basically deliberating over the perfect society that that if it fails, there's no consequence for them because they sort of live in a bubble protected by it. But here's the scary part, and this goes back to our original conversations, because in, in many ways it's typified by the most important social class in America, which is the comics, the, or otherwise known as the, com, the comic endian, the, the, the comendian, the, <laughs> the, the clowns. Yeah. You have this upper middle class or even middle class or middle or wealthy wannabes or elite wannabes. And in the world of entertainment, that's what every wannabe is, right? Sure. And they I want they see their way forward as is requiring them to identify with this elite and express contempt for their audiences. So those audiences shrink and shrink and shrink to just a self-congratulating sliver of people who are, you know, the same people who are watching CNN. And that affects not just comics, of course, but other entertainers. This is, goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the, you know, of our interview today. Entertainers who, on the one hand, they've lost all track of what regular life was like, but they're, they're cultural leaders, notwithstanding the fact that most of them are utter dimwits. Forget about midwits. These are dimwits. These are really brainless people. Uh, they can dance. They can sing. They look good. You know, do, do you see any realization yet creeping back into the core of comedy that more, it's, you know, we've reached a time where maybe a little bit more truth telling is called for or not so much? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because you talk about sort of the, there's almost a split in entertainment. Right. That's now. amazing. If, is it, is it, if it's a perceptible split, that's an amazing development. Well, it's and it's pre predominantly, you know, observable through the world of podcasting. And, and I mean that specifically about comedians in like specifically comedians, because um, I think comedians, the good ones anyway, understand that it is their responsibility to tell the truth and to be authentic and that that will cultivate their audience for them right like i i have to be, for me to be successful because i i rail against the sort of prescribed worldview um from the people who run the studios or the people who work at the networks or the people who represent both of those individuals um, it's very clear to me that my capital will come from developing my own audience. And, and I truly believe that the only way I can do that is to really be myself 
and to really say things that are meaningful to me and that I think will resonate with my audience. I think the Josh Gads of the world, these other sort of plug and play Hollywood types, they and 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 the producers that sort of work with them, I think they believe that they can manufacture an audience under anything that they they deem um, the stories that they want to tell. And what's interesting is, is they're even willing to sort of lie about that to the degree of like they will they will watch a ship sink and say that, well, well, we made content that was for a better America. Or we tried to create something that was in the vision of the world we all want to live in whether it's popular or it has an audience or not. And so it's almost like you have one side of entertainment and comedy that, that wants almost like pure meritocracy only. Like I want to be successful on the merit of, of what I do. And then there's another side that's like merit means nothing. We can manipulate it any way we want to. And we'll just continue to tell the stories we want because we have this sort of weird moral superiority. We believe that the way we view the world is right. Even if the support, the numbers of support don't match that, um, you know, so it, it's, it's, it is kind of strange that they, that there is a split, it, particularly in comedy where you have people that are now like system comedians, right? They, they only want to talk about subjects that are uh, the approved point of view, uh, the the official narrative, the things that they they believe that the powers that be want them to talk about or that they're free to talk about. And then you have really free men, free people who are willing to, you know, uh, stand in the face of authority and disagree and do it in a comedic way or a funny way or an interesting way. And so there's absolutely a split. Um, and, and I think comedy is almost like, it is the um, canary in the coal mine for where we are as a society, where if you look at what's happening in comedy, where there's almost like this civil war between comedians of those of us who think that no one is beyond reproach, that no one is beyond being criticized or made fun of, particularly our government and particularly the institutions that um, hold wealth and power in this country. And then you have the other side that are like the court jester where it's like, they will make fun of anyone, but they definitely don't want to uh, upset the King. They don't want to upset his majesty to the point in which, you know, they, they will lose favor. Well, how, I mean, at what point do we start to real to, is, is, is there a, a showbiz by which I mean money, Remember Steve Martin? The hills are alive with the sound of money. <laughs> uh, reckoning for really, really unfunny comedy like Samantha B and Trevor Noah. I mean, I, I understand that people nod their heads and congratulate themselves on their virtue when listening to these people, but is it possible that anyone actually laughs? Well, here's an interesting thing about Trevor Noah that nobody talks about. Why did Comedy Central pick Trevor Noah? Think about it. Oh, I don't have to think about it very hard. Yeah. So what? <laughs> why Why would you pick? So this, this makes sense to me. Why would you give the most prestigious job in comedy to a relatively new, unproven comedian, right? Like when the Trevor Barack Noah was- Obama of comedians. <laughs> correct. So, but when Trevor Noah was given this role, um, he was not considered a thought leader in any way. Like, you know, if they, if they had taken somebody like Dave Chappelle or even Michael Che, 
um, these people who have, have had some good historical sort of criticisms of systems of power, that would make sense. You would go, wow, these, these people are disruptors and this mantle should be taken up by someone who's a disruptor. Instead, you take somebody from uh, uh, literally the last country with apartheid um, in, in the modern era, you take this person who grew up in squalor and you throw them a few million dollars, um, change their life infinitely for the better financially. And now you have a mouthpiece that is so gracious and so appreciative that he wouldn't dare, wouldn't dare really question the greatness of the nation that uh, that he's in now. And so you it's would like, think you would, think. you would, you would think, um, but in a weird way, it's like, so, so to me, it's like they bought themselves a corporate lapdog in going and getting somebody like a Trevor Noah, where they would never have the balls to take somebody like myself um, and put them on that show. Who's really going to, you know, um, stir things up and, and listen, Bill Maher is a guy who's very politically opposed to a lot of the things I believe and a lot of the directions I want to go in. But what I think is fun about watching his show is you almost watch him drift further and further to the right every week. And, and you, you're watching a man who is not dumb uh, come to the realization that the, the systems that he believes in are failing him as well. And that uh, even his side is corrupt and horrendous. And um, you're, you're watching somebody sort of defect from their political dogma um, in real time. No pun intended, but, you know. And, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't I don't even know how I would go. What, what his show is on. Is it on HBO? HBO. Or yeah, yeah, it's on HBO. But I see the, you know, the outtakes that are traded around the Internet. And it's fascinating. You, you can touch even through the through the magic of video. The discomfort of his audience. Oh, yeah. When he steps on that third rail and they don't know if they're allowed to laugh. I mean, is someone going to see them laugh? And they, or they might not even be able to laugh because it's just so heretical what he's saying. But yeah, he, he you know, once every couple of weeks hits, them, hits it out of the park on something and really tells it like it is. But yeah, he's, it, he's really established. And, he, and, he, and you know, he, now, interestingly, remember, he's a second generation showbiz guy. And that probably gives him some of that confidence. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was second generation. I don't think his father was a performer, but he was in the business. I think, I think he was maybe a recording engineer or something, or, or maybe he was in radio. I don't, I don't actually remember. I could be wrong about that. But, you know, it, it, is, it is kind of a fun thing to see. You see this person who, you know, so to me, again, like a Bill Maher uh, personality type is, um, is who should be in that chair. I mean, that's what I think we all loved about Jon Stewart is Jon Stewart was not afraid to criticize his own party or people that represented his own beliefs when they strayed from common sense or they strayed from reality too far. And you even saw that with his sort of recent uh, interview on Colbert, where they, you felt like they almost cut to commercial because he was just merely talking about um, just some of the insanity and the crazy lengths we've gone to, to try to avoid the truth that this was probably a man-made virus and that it was probably something that leaked that wasn't supposed to, and that we are playing God and manipulating science in a way that ultimately will be the downfall of society. And these are the kind of fire and brimstone. No, um, let's, rhetoric. Oh, listen, that's all very interesting, but let's talk about Bill Mar Mars father. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, it's getting much too serious. Uh, Mar Mar Bill Marr was born in New York City's father, William Aloysius Marr Jr., 
was a network news editor and radio announcer. No, okay. his mother Julie, Julie Berman, Julie Berman was a nurse. Okay, so he was he was brought up as a Catholic, but his mother's Jewish, meaning that he's Jewish, meaning that that's why he's such a wise ass. Not, and but but also his, his dad was in the biz to some extent. And I don't, you were saying something about a disease killing everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was just saying that. You know, the, the thing that made Jon Stewart so likable uh, as the host of The Daily Show for so many years was that, you know, if his side and his team needed to be taken down, he was willing to do that. That's all, I think, but, but I that think, was but he wasn't the only one. I mean, I, no. I remember there was a Saturday Night Live sketch during the Obama administration called What Would It Take? And it had it, it was it was blacks, including white actors playing blacks. I don't even know if that's allowed anymore. No, and it was like a talk, sh you know, a, a a a panel show format, and they were they would posit hypothetical things. That w what could Barack Obama possibly do that would cause them to not support him in for re-election? And they, you know, they would throw up these ideas, and nah, nah, that wouldn't do it. You know, whatever it was, that was. Oh, and of course, Jimmy Carter. I mean, but, uh, Jimmy Carter. That's the old Saturday Night Live, but also making fun of Bill Clinton was something. But not, you know, I don't know. Maybe do they? That was the ethic of comedy until you know five years ago. Now, now, of course, obviously, the business considerations. I mean, I asked. I asked um, Adam Townsend, who's got lots and lots of big thoughts, especially about China and culture. Why is it that entertainment and fashion businesses, which are so capitalist and are and you would think would be so geared toward the market? And I keep using this example. Why would a management of a Victoria's Secret try to sell lingerie using obese models? What would possibly, how did that possibly benefit? I mean, you can have your, this goes back to your idea of a, you know, I want to, I want my work to be recognized for the quality, for the content, for the inherent value. So, okay, for the, look, the only inherent value of lingerie is to make a woman who is good enough looking to wear lingerie in the first place, look even more desirable. And we're not even, we're not talking about that with the kind of models that evidently that they're using. So, well, you're no. talking, you're bringing up something that's very much about, I think, the specific poisons of our cultural ideology these days, right? And so I, I said, uh, what was the phrasing I used in that Twitter thread this morning? Because we're kind of going back to my central point, which was, um, we are in a, a state of sort of uh, godlessness, a state of, um, what were the exact words I I said technology godlessness and childlessness has left us pudgy and purposeless. And what I mean by that is um, we are no longer an aspirational society. Right. And, and when you say what is the primary difference culturally between us and the East, and I say the East, because I, I, I want to culturally include Japan uh, with China, even though they are very politically different. One of the cultural staples of, of their society is shame. And because we have sort of guardrailed our people from feeling shame that we can no longer drive um, marketing or things that are sort of aspirational in nature, right? Remember when, um, remember when, I, you know, you were a kid and I was a kid growing up like champions, right? 
athletes, uh, winners were, were people that worked very hard and had talent levels that the average person was incapable of reaching. Right. There was, there was no, um, there was no political incorrectness to saying that some people in our society are better looking or more talented or more athletically gifted or more intelligent than others. And those better people shapes. should be, or, yeah, yeah, or better shape. Be, better shape is pretty much what better shape looks like. And yeah, and, and perhaps more dis, just more disciplined. Right. But these are, these are great people. Um, and, and their greatness should be celebrated. Now or, or we live they're, in a, they're great people in this risk, in this respect. I mean, they might regard. be complete, they might be utter jerks, but right. they are nonetheless great. I mean, gosh, Michael Jordan, you just can't be Michael Jordan without making your entire life about achieving what he achieved. I mean, that's how he got right. to do it. And yet, you know, if you can't recognize that, no matter what your cultural frame of reference is, then you, you know, then you're missing something. And so the other end of that sword is shame for lack of accomplishment, right? And I think China and Japan are very, very good at saying, you don't have to be great, but don't shame, don't be shameful. Um, and unfortunately, in America, we've gone so far to where not only do we demand greatness from anyone anymore, but we've also made it too well, not only do to we make not, anyone. Wait, not only do we not demand greatness, right? That's what you're saying? Right. Okay. Yes. Not only do we no longer demand greatness from anyone, um, we 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 want mediocrity to be viewed on a parallel with greatness, and therefore, and we also well, not think only, making anyone not only that more than that, greatness is a we're, we're going to close charter schools, we're gonna we're going to stop the SAT, we're all the things that are associated with discipline and getting the job done and hitting the mark. That's called white. Supremacy now. <laughs> what? Well, what? And, and the problem with America is we have killed exceptionalism in the name of equality. And I said, you know, one of the biggest problems is that people think the dream of America is about equality. It's not. America is and always has been fundamentally about rewarding exceptionalism, being the best at something and being and it's recognized. it's just outrageous that you and I have not been appropriately rewarded yet. And that's, no, I think, that's our not. point for today. Is we're, I want to be showered with riches. I, I, I mean, we're, we're so good. We're so talented. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, Trevor Noah. That's not right. Yeah, he just bought his second house here in California where he doesn't even live and film his show. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it, and, it, and that can be a little discouraging at times where you just look around and you go, man, the, the people who sort of live with the proverbial boot on their neck, it's a pretty nice boot. And, uh, you know, nice, their, their nice face boot. is being pushed down on a nice, cool, imported Italian marble. So maybe it's not that bad. <laughs> Josh, as usual, we've, uh, we've got it all figured out. Maybe some people will listen and come to a deeper understanding of what the truth is. But it's so unlikely. I mean, that they'll even listen. But we try, but we try. <laughs> That's all we can do. I want to stay you for being, I want to stay you. I want to st stay you, stay. I want to thank you for always staying, uh, for always being around and always being a good friend and always uh, always being up for, up for a laugh and uh, fighting the good fight along with the rest of us and for coming out to the show today. Anything we should be pitching? I didn't actually, I'm not sure we really got a chance for you to explain at the beginning when I asked you, because we started talking about meaningful stuff, but 
tell people where to find you and you know all those things domain names and where to send them yeah pe- yeah people can go to joshdennycomedy.com all my links to everything are there Magic. you can check out by you can check out my new podcast jankum on every podcast platform check me out on locals you is, is, is there, there any way you anything we can do to get you to change the name of that absolutely no absolutely absolutely not you change it like every six months every three months right okay so now i've changed i've let's calm down i've changed i've changed the name of my podcast two times in the last like five years two all right well you know that's a disgusting name this is the america Um, the, the very america that you're complaining about the lowered standards and the acceptance of mediocrity and i don't even like that drawing that's a disgusting drawing look at your look right here yeah he put a turd right on jeremy do we have to use this podcast it's a crown of shit ron it's a crown of shit uh, uh you know show a little respect <laughs> well you know you, you know respect uh, is owned. respect is owned. yeah oh my God. They, and, and then and then of course i would be totally remiss if i didn't mention people can watch i i have a a clip show that sort of mocks political shows uh called next week tonight which people can watch on censored.tv uh, new episodes every Friday, and uh, this this week kicks off the second half of season one. So we have a big episode dropping tonight, and uh, I hope people like it. I do. I hope. To, I hope so too. I, I hope I like it. I hope I like it because I really want to like it. Um, <laughs> Josh, always a lot of fun. Thanks again for coming on. You're 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 a deep thinker and you're a serious person for a comic, and that's why you are doomed, along with me. To living in, uh, you know, a click or two higher than a trailer, but you got to tell the truth. You got to be who you are, even if you're you. Yeah, and and you know the idea that you can't take any of the money or anything with you is. Just, I'd just rather live a life that uh, I'm I'm truly happy with. You know, I have the least amount of money in my bank account that I've had in 20 years, and I'm probably the happiest I've ever been. So, um, you know, I think I think I, that I, goes a long way. I cannot let my wife listen to this podcast. It just she's gonna it's just gonna be the end. All right, buddy. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Thanks, Thanks Rob. You, you too. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com, or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.